You can literally say and do anything. I am nervous, though. But it's fine. Sorry, guys, for all the drama I've made them go through when I'm like, you're fine. Calm down. It's fine. <laughs> you're going to do great. All right. So when you go to start, just like that. Um, okay. So whenever you're ready, and I'm here. Oh, hi. You're listening to Service from Hell, a podcast featuring people that are currently in customer service positions or the lucky ones that got out and all of the good, bad, and infinitely irritating things that go along with that work. I'm lawyer and writer Megan gaffney Painter, and I am qualified to discuss this as I used to work as a hostess at a restaurant called Perkins and in a single day voided every credit card transaction that occurred under my watch. So let's eat. I'd like to welcome our guest, Kate Gaffney. Kate <laughs> Kate is an actor and writer originally from a small town outside of Cincinnati, Ohio. After graduating from St. Louis University, she moved to Southern California to pursue the arts. In Los Angeles, Kate studied improv at Second City, I.O. West, and The Groundlings. Kate has been fortunate to work on some super fun films and shows, and she has worked an impressive amount of customer service jobs. Kate finds that human beings can be both good and insanely frustrating. I better know Kate from being raised in the same house as she and having the same parents. So, Kate, welcome hmm. to your own podcast. Thank you. Tell us, uh, what got you started? Oh, it's that's a really excellent question you've just <laughs> developed, Megan. Wow, that's really good. That's, I read it on this sheet. Did you? The sheet I have created? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, got me started. So I am I'm, I'm nervous. Now I feel for the guests. So always was interested in acting. Um, you and I had a co-production. Uh, it wasn't ours, but we were both in the play Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where I was an Oompa Loompa. I forget I what you I don't remember this. You don't remember I don't actually it? think I was in it. Really? I feel like... Was I? I, I don't, don't know. think so. Okay, I lied. The production we were in together was A Christmas Carol. Yes. Okay, that we you played the ghost of Christmas future. Present. Present. And Although, um, I was a townsperson. So again, always being second fiddle to you and always playing the lesser roles. I think that's what got me started. It's really your fault. <laughs> and yeah, just got the bug early, wanted to do some form of entertaining, you know, really just like... I don't know, just like sticking it up all the time. You and I used to dress up and play. There was like, uh, we once ruined several sheets by using permanent marker to draw on them when we created this like clown theater. So we put a bunch of makeup what? on our faces. Do you not remember this. this either? No. I promise this happened. So we She's right. I'm very <laughs> sleep deprived. <It's> okay. So <laughs> She has young ones. So they, we painted our faces with like just clown paint that we had in the house. And there used to be this massive piece of furniture that dad had from... Uh, like his office yes, the light box yes yes and then we put sheets over it and decided well permanent marker makes the most sense and so i forget what we drew but anyway we were performing always so we performed for mom and dad who were through gritted teeth watching the performance frustrated <laughs> that we had ruined i think multiple sets of sheets i think and yeah i used to do um i used to do accents and voices and all that nonsense for camp counselors because we i had one camp counselor who would give us candy if we made her laugh hi angie and um <laughs> so i was like candy for giggles like yes that's a currency i totally understand so um 
Yeah, okay, so did you, my question to you, sorry to interrupt, no, is fine. did you adjust your humor style to make, to, did you try to figure out what made her laugh and do that or did you do your own thing and she just responded to it? That's a really good question. Mostly, I would just, she thought it was funny that I could say coffee talk and do a New York accent like that, like it was just so, and a mostly absurd, so extreme, very stereotypical New York accent, but I could do it when I was younger and had never seen SNL really, but she thought, the coffee talk was very funny on SNL. So me and this other girl at camp would just we, like, we didn't know what it was. We would just like be like, here we are at coffee talk. And then we would pause and be like, that's the scene. And like, she would giggle because I don't know how old we were. And so of course it was like, oh, I'm getting this immediate feedback. I'm super into this. And then, yeah, I just kept it up throughout high school. And I, yeah, it just, it was really, I had a really supportive high school experience with theater and got a lot of opportunities and then did some community theater when I was in high school. And that was also super fun. And then in college, I was like, well, I need to get a degree that mom and dad will be mad about. So I did not major in theater. Although I went to the theater department, I was like, can I be in all the plays? And she was like, why don't you just major in theater? Like that makes the most sense. And I was like, oh, I would never do that. <laughs> I think I probably said to her, like, I can't get a useless degree. I probably said something super offensive to the head of the theater department. Needless to say, I wasn't in a ton of plays in college. <laughs> I was in a few. And after college, I just knew, I knew freshman year that I was eventually going to move to LA. I was like, no, that's, that's the, that's the light in the darkness. I'm going to do that. Now, why LA? I don't know. I really don't know. I think because I thought that the industry was there and I think that, you know, it was it was I had seen like growing up all of these movies that featured Los Angeles and it just seemed like it seemed like the place where all the dreams came true. So I was like, well, that's where you go. That's what you do. So after graduation, moved back to Ohio for a minute, got a miserable job Ooh, that I didn't put on my own list, which I need to remember. Oh, I'll ask you about it. Um, yeah, we'll get there. But ha- got a miserable job being a translator for this underprivileged doctor's office in the middle of downtown Cincinnati. And just it was it was hell. That was an awful, awful job. I lasted, I think, like five months, six months, maybe. And then I was like, nope. I'm out. And secretly on the computer there, whilst I was supposed to be working, I would I would look up like this was when Craigslist was still a place where like you could get murdered and you could you could meet prostitutes, but also you found places to live. So I would like look up all of these listings of available apartments in San Diego because LA was too scary. And I was like, well, I'll do San Diego and I'll I'll do acting there, which now, why San Diego? Less scary. And I had I visited there with some girlfriends right after college. And I was like, oh, San Diego doesn't feel as scary as L.A. Because L.A. was like, you know, it felt like 57 lane highways. And it was so fast. And it was so big. And I mean, we're small town people. Like, that just was a lot to take in. And so I was like, oh, no, I can drive. I'm an idiot. I can drive for auditions up to L.A. And it'll be fine. And I did that for a while. And it's awful. It is awful. And then I would book work up in LA and I'd be driving San Diego to LA and it was, it was, it was awful. And what's that distance for people that don't know? Good question. Um, I, oh, don't roast me SoCal people, but I think it's like, oh, not by my, like how long did the drive take? Well, it should take hour and a half, maybe two hours, like max two hours. Oh, there was one time it took me eight and a half hours because traffic is just so bad. So I was driving through the night and like it was ugh, it was awful. So it just depends. It really just depends. Now, I mean, traffic has gotten so much worse. Uh, I think that on average is about four hours. Now that's about average. Not it doesn't even matter when you leave. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So that was uh, that was for the first. I think I lived in San Diego for like 
two-ish years, maybe three. No, three. I lived there for three years and I loved it. Made a lot of amazing friends, like uh, some of whom are listening and like Nick Parisi being one of them who named the podcast what it is now. What up, Nick and Kate, who's lovely. Um, and you had a really cool job there, if I remember. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it was a it was a very cool job. And we'll get into it. That's that's yeah, it's it was a very cool job. I was working in marketing and it was it was fun. But it was also like it was always that thing of, yeah, but I this isn't what I want. Like and I kept advancing. And that was when I knew like, no, 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 I have to move to L.A. Um, and so they moved up to L.A. And I was sitting on everything. I was like, well, you know, I'm here. So this counts as acting, right? I'm, it's gonna, someone's gonna find me on a bus and offer me a lead in a movie. Uh, and I'm not Channing Tatum, so that didn't happen to me. But I had a lot of really amazing supportive friends from all over, but specifically in San Diego, who knew I moved up to LA for acting. And they were like, get your shit together and start either taking a class or auditioning, but you're wasting your time. Z specifically is who comes to mind for that speech. And it was so helpful the next day I signed up for improv classes because I didn't know what else to do. And I was working as a hostess at uh, Hard Rock Cafe at the time. And I was surrounded by a bunch of people in entertainment, but but not really. Like it was a bunch of people who kept saying that they were doing things, but nobody, like if you were to go to them and ask a question of like, hey, what, what should I sign up for? Or like, is this the right class? Is this, they'd be like, oh yeah, I don't know. Because there is that vortex that happens in LA too, which I was guilty of, of as soon as you get there, you think, well, here we go. I've, I've done all the work I need to do. I'm here, I moved here, mm-hmm. so here we go. Like, is, doesn't it start now? And so I was surrounded by a bunch of people at work who were like, yeah, we've chosen hospitality so we can be available for auditions, but like they weren't repped or they weren't really going out or they were talking a lot of it. And I'm not judging them. I was doing the same thing, but there was no, I didn't have a touchstone that I could go to and be like, what's the next move here? No mentor. None, none. And that kind of like, so then I got an office job based off of the San Diego job and that was, after the Hard Rock Cafe, I was doing them simultaneously for a minute, but I was, they kept promising me at Hard Rock that they would, they were like, we're going to make you a server. We're going to make you a server. But then they kept moving me up in the department of host because I was good at it. And I was good at it with, with other people that were good at it at the time. What up Kim and Cody and, and Lexi, I made a lot of really good friends in that zone, but they kept telling all of us they were going to move us out of that department, but we were so good that they would make us trainers. And then they would be like, we're going to give you a lunch. Aren't you glad? And it was like, yeah, but I can't live on seven twenty-five an hour at, at, with no tips in the middle of LA. Like I just, I can't do that. And in order to move up, actually I left this detail, which is fun. I had booked one of the jobs that I booked up in San Diego, I met this guy who was really nice and super fun and he and I had stayed in touch when I would go back down to San Diego and eventually he's like hey you can stay at my because he had a house at the time he's like you can stay at my house instead of paying for a hotel because I was doing that it was a weekend job and so I would stay with him and we were super like buds he's like probably 20 years older than I am like just a nice dude you met him yes I visited there yeah Yeah, yeah, you saw that house Yes. yes I unpacked you. You sure did. And so the, so coming up to LA was such a big thing of like, oh my God, I don't know where I'm going to live and I don't know. And it just felt so big. And James was like, actually, my dad's really ill and I have to be in Florida and I need someone to be at my house. And he was like, can you please just go there? And he wasn't going to charge me rent. And I was like, I feel weird about that. So I, so we worked out, like, I think I was paying like nothing. I think I was paying six fifty, maybe seven fifty, like nothing for a room and And I watched his house and took care of his mail and did all those things, but it benefited both of us, which was serendipitous and lovely. And I ended up, I think I lived with him for like 
a year and a half, maybe two years. I lived with him for a while, but it was only po- the only reason it was it that it was possible to work at Hard Rock was because I wasn't paying fifteen hundred dollars a month in rent, which was you know about average. So, um, I don't know what the shift was, but anyway, so I, you know, slowly you get sort of integrated further into LA and like, you know, you realize, oh, you got to meet people. And like, I was doing like what used to be legal, which is now not, but those casting director workshops thinking, oh, we're going to meet somebody in casting or like get repped or whatever. What's a casting director workshop? That is when you, so you and a bunch of other actors sign up and pay, which is why they became illegal to go in front of someone who's, who's casting like in this case, like for like, I think at the time it was uh, modern family was shooting at the time. I think big bang theory was shooting at the time. I forget there were various sitcoms that were shooting in LA and you were getting in front of the person who decided casting for the show. And like for some people, I mean, and some people you guys have heard on this podcast, you know, it worked out for them. It never did for me. And you would get these like arbitrary sheets with notes on them from the casting director that would say, you were great, great smile, you know, just fuzzy bunny comments. And you would have a scale of one to five and they would circle the number that they thought you were. So they weren't actually, it's not like a paid audition. It was like someone who has experience in this industry, you will pay them and they will tell you how to do better in a real audition or was a real audition? So all of your questions are very intuitive. So it was presented to us as the actors as this is not a paid audition. These are, this is a notes exchange, right? But the way that it actually went was you were paying them to just be there. So they could cash these checks through these various like schools or wherever they were being held. And they were giving you notes, but I was not at a level four or five for these these people who at the time were casting major shows. I wasn't strong enough yet. I didn't. I had a theater background. I didn't have enough film and television experience. I was over the top. I overacted in front of all. I can remember some of them and be like, oh my God, thinking of that performance now. Huh. So it started to feel as though the notes weren't credible. They just wanted you to keep coming back so that they could keep making money. And if there's butts in the seats, they're getting a percentage of everything that everybody's paying, right? So the incentive, and like some of them were 50 bucks for an hour and a half. And at the time, and even, well, especially now, but none of us were making money, really. And so you would save up to try and go to these with just the hope that you would get in front of the right person. It's why they became illegal. Because it was so many of us were so, we were just vulnerable. And especially when you don't have to, to what you were saying before, like when you don't have a mentor, mm-hmm. and especially in the big, vast sort of vortex that is Los Angeles, you think you're making headway. And to be fair, some of my friends, like Dwayne, who's been on the podcast, did book work, actually book work off of those workshops. So it wasn't a lie for them to say, we are going to consider you for future projects because they're always looking for the right fit. So in theory, they really were looking for actors, but... They were looking for a check first. Actually, a thousand percent. Yes. And so that sort of, I don't know, I got, it just, it puts in sort of a nasty flavor in your mouth and you start to, you start to think, is all of the industry sort of doing this kind of grift? Is this a thing? And so you, you get to a place where you start to think, why am I even pursuing this? And you sort of just, you know, rub your hands together and think, 
it just starts to feel further and further away. But I was also working in an office. I was meeting nobody in the industry, really. The, the best I had was, you know, I was writing shows and stuff, but for the improv school where I was. And like, we went on tour with our show and we had, a, I mean, my improv experience at Second City specifically was phenomenal and changed my life. And it got me out of the uh, grind, I guess, of just not like throwing wet paper towels a, a, into a vacuum, not even against a wall. You're just like, well, I think, I think this, I think this, I think this. Was that right? No. Okay. Start over. Where were you getting the ideas to try these various workshops? Like, what what guidance were you you it, getting? It starts to become. I would kind of assume sort of similar to networking as a lawyer to find the right firm if you don't like clerk or whatever, or I forget what you, I'm trying to make up words. I don't know what you do, Um, but whatever. (laughs) It's similar to you and your people. You, you happen upon a class, right? So I was, I was registered at the second city and then you're in theory taking classes with other actors. Although that's not always true with improv. Some people are just professional speakers or just want to try it or whatever, which is totally fine. But for the actors you meet in the class, it just becomes this word of mouth thing of, oh, have you heard of fill in the blank? And if you have or haven't, then you think, okay, well, I haven't heard of that. And then they vouch for either the the school or the experience, but also keep in mind that those other actors that are recommending these things to you are not, they're no part of the grift. They themselves are getting hoodwinked. So they think- It's the blind leading the blind, right? 100%. And it's the tricked leading the soon to be tricked. Because they don't know that they've paid for something that was, uh, you might as well have written a check to your own asshole. They don't know that. So then they tell you, well, and it was always that sort of untouched story of, did you hear so-and-so booked Silicon Valley? That's the show Dwayne booked. That's why I'm saying it. But like, did you hear that so-and-so booked Silicon Valley? And and doesn't that make you hopeful? And so, yeah. Hmm. And, and that's the thing is like, the currency of hope that happens in Los Angeles, especially in entertainment, is you start trading the stories of that person that you heard about that booked this one thing. It's like the Channing Tatum coming off of the bus story, right? You just hear of these stripping sort of, off the bus. Uh, okay, but he should though. You see that body? <laughs> no, oh, I was saying, yeah. wasn't he a stripper? And that's how he got probably. Through? I lie. I mean, I Sorry, heard he that he. Anyway, yeah, he also doesn't tip. Cool. Boop. We gonna get on that later. <laughs> um, but <clears throat> so, so th- this reminds me of those stories you hear about apocalyptic cults that say, you know, the end of the world is Tuesday and then Tuesday rolls around, the end of the world doesn't happen. And what you would expect if you were sort of rationalizing your way through it is that all of those people would just say, I got hoodwinked and walk away. But what more commonly happens is it's like you, you double down. It's almost like a defense mechanism. Like I don't want to believe that I was manipulated or taken advantage of. So instead I'm going to reconstruct reality such that, it is like I wasn't I wasn't manipulated. I wasn't taken advantage of. S- sounds much to a much lesser degree similar. Like I paid for this workshop. So now I'm going to tell other people to, t- to pay for this workshop because if something good happens for somebody else or then maybe I wasn't manipulated out of money that I worked very hard to earn. That's oh, a very articulate observation. Ain't she smart, y'all? Ain't she smart? That's why I asked her questions. She's so smart. Yeah. It is it is 100% that same idea because and that sort of is a large portion of the I don't even know what range I would have said I was in at that time as an actor. But I would say that sort of you're not green. 
you've been on set at that point I had a couple movies under my belt so I knew sort of how to be on set but you're also still willing to take background work and you're still holding on to the story about the story about the story and I it's it's a totally apt comparison to say that there is some sort of I don't want to believe I was taken advantage of. So I'm going to, to your to use your words, I'm going to alter reality to fit this thing. So much of the money that you spend in acting is that. It's it's the idea that like I I shot headshots with the this very famous couple who was a nightmare. They were so terrible, but the shots were great. But I spent $1500 for those pictures. And pictures in theory, once you turn like 25, they're only really good for three years. You can push it to four, but really only three. And now granted, I got repped around like a year after I got those pictures. And then I got repped again recently off of those pictures, which is great. And so that would be considered a successful investment. But could I have gotten repped off of, you know, six to $800 shots? Probably. Now, what does repped mean? Sorry, uh, getting representation. So getting an agent or a manager. So that, so this is, the, and that is sort of the thing that level, puts you in the next tier is when you're, when you're repped. Now you have someone else in theory pitching you. So they're not just submitting you for auditions that they see that might be your type, but in theory, they're taking meetings on your behalf. They're convincing this casting director to be interested in you. If you get an alphabet agency, then they want, they'll pitch you to a studio. They'll pitch you to a network. I mean, you might become the sort of thing, the product that they are now hawking to, to be very frank. And when you're in the unwrapped tier, nobody's doing that for you but you, which you, you may as well throw more paper towels into the void. When you're repped, depending on the agency that you have, in theory, you're at least getting pitched in theory. Now, if you're repped and you on your own get an opportunity, does your representative then take some portion of what you earn from that opportunity that you got yourself? That's a fair question. And yes. Yes. Because... Okay. The theory is that if you choose to take on what is technically their job, and if you which would be you opening more opportunities for yourself, that's all well and good. You can spend your time doing that, but they have that you are part of their branding, and so that's awesome that you got yourself an opportunity. We'll take our ten percent now, please. It, you can see sort of it, it seems like because there's a lack of transparency about how these things work and there's also probably not a very set path mm -hmm. to achieving you know within the acting or entertainment industry there's a lot of opportunity to take advantage of people yes. because you know you don't know if this is the way to do it why do you who knows what the way is to do it, it, it how did harvey weinstein become the the this predatory mass it's a comedy podcast everybody have fun but how did he get to the to the like quiet level of raping all of these women that he got to because it's like yeah there to your use your words exactly there is not it, it's it, it's one of the few industries where i feel like you could go to tish which is a phenomenal school you could go to uh, sc is a great school you could go into any one of the mere like i could list so many more i'm not being exclusionary to say that those are the only two that are great. There's so many great theater, artistic, whatever schools in this country and outside of this country. 
And it is the one career where you can invest all of this money to get a piece of paper that shows your, you know, Meisner work. If you're, you know, classically trained, all the Shakespeare work, just all of this deep diving soul work you did to become better. And you could work a fast food job for the remainder of your life. It just, it just, there is not a, you go to undergrad for four years, then you go to law school, then you're a lawyer. There just isn't that in acting, which is, look, we choose it. We choose it. But the ability to take advantage of people that are pursuing the arts, specifically acting, because I can speak to that because I'm doing it, it is astounding. I mean, my first audition was for a porn and I didn't know it. And it was dangerous and awful. And it was found it on Craigslist. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah, I can. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So Um, when, when was this? This was like, I mean, I was... I had moved to L.A. specifically. So I guess I shouldn't say it was my first L.A. audition. It was my first audition once I finally lived in L.A. And I was living with James. And he was a working actor, like on a television show, very, very working. And I showed it to him just casually like, look, I got this audition. Because the way that the audition read, it said a feature film looking uh, specifically seeking unknown talent, which was often, I know. No, 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 I know, girl. I know, I know. I'm not saying I wouldn't, I just knowing how it ends. It's funny. Yeah. (laughs) Unknown talent. And, but the thing is, is like that you had heard that Craigslist might be a place where they would do that. Right. Because if you're going outside of the agency world in the agency world, those are a lot of faces you recognize. So we really are actually genuinely seeking unknown talent. Craigslist might be the place to do it. Right. And it said, um, shooting on the back lot of Universal Studios. And I had worked at Universal Studios uh, for a job in October. And so I was like, okay, they know the language. So it felt like, oh, this probably is, you know, associated with Universal Studios. And then uh, I forget, I, I, I printed it and saved. I put it in my acting file because I was like, come on, girl. Come on. We're not going to do this again. But some language thereof, I don't have it in front of me, but it was essentially, they said all the right things. Flexibility. Oh yeah. And you know, uh, uh, SAG scale, which I wasn't SAG. And it said, if you're not SAG, we'll work around it. Like there was just all of these things that they just knew the language. Anyway. So I show it to my roommate, like, look, I got this audition. I'm so excited. He goes, Oh my God, don't go. And I was like, who is you? No, this is my audition. I'm going. And he was like, do not go. And I was like, I'm leaving the house. Did he explain why? He he was very good at letting me be green in some things and letting me learn. All he said was, <laughs> he goes, this, this ain't a Universal Studios girl. And I was like, but it is. And you don't know. <laughs> you can't lie on Craigslist. <laughs> Correct. It's vetted. It's Craigslist. So, Craig doesn't allow that. <laughs> Craig is very kind. So I go and I drive there and God bless him. He drives there too, which is, he was protective big brother. He was like, like I said, he was 20 years older than me, like very kind. Well, kids, the building, there's a building on, I think it's not Lancashire. I can't think of the name of the street. Maybe it's Lancashire. The very top of the building says vivid entertainment. Now (laughs) I did not know. I thought, well, that's a cool studio. And it's the top of the building. And I was like, and the audition again, didn't say go to vivid offices, go to whatever. Like it didn't, it was like, just go to this address, go to the 12th floor or whatever. So I, it said, call this number when you get here. Now I get in the elevator and there's a lot of pictures of dicks. And I was like, <laughs> in the elevator, in 
the elevator. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> Maybe he's right. <laughs> but I'm still going to plow ahead. Yep. Because I'm an actor. Wait, is it like wallpaper? Oh, no. It's one of those, you know, you know, like Vegas, how many, how, they, how many um, are we talking about here? I wish I, I wish I could remember. But you know how like in Vegas, how they have those little plastic, they have these yeah. in New York too, where it's like an ad in the elevator yeah, that you're yeah, meant yeah. to look at. A lot of dicks in that. I don't remember how many. <laughs> and so the note on the audition said, call this number when you get up to the 12th floor or whatever, my assistant will come and will answer and come and get you. So call the number. I hear some dude. I like, I can't script this. I hear some dude go, hello. And I was like, oh, hey, uh, is this Chris? Um, it's Kate Gaffney. I'm here for this audition. But when he goes, yeah, no problem. Um, I'll, I'll come get you. And like 13 seconds later, this dude comes around who I'm like, and he's like, hi, I'm I, I Jared or whatever. And I was like, boy, that, that voice is familiar. And I, and in my head, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> he was being his own assistant. And there's dicks in the elevator. Ah, fuck. <laughs> I was like, I'm too committed because I'm an actor. I'm so serious. So at this point, I see there's another girl in the waiting area who was, I mean, drop dead out of a magazine gorgeous. And I was like, hope she ain't going for the same role. I am because we in sweats. <laughs> oh, I didn't dress up. She did. And there was a fish tank and like it, it had a weird like sort of doctor's office vibes, which who knew that porn offices were like that. And he takes me back to this room and it's an office. He's got no camera in there, which I knew enough for auditions where I'm like, he should film this. This is very odd, which is actually a good thing. And there's like bookshelves like filled with the same book. And I was like, but it was a female author. And I'm like, this ain't this dude's office. And he was like, welcome to my office. Like, we're just going to talk about the role. And I was like, oh, where's the reader? And he's like, well, I'll be acting as the reader. And I was like, oh, so your assistant won't be reading? Because at this point I was a little pissed, but I didn't have enough confidence to A, leave, which is what I should have done, or B, be like, yo, uh, bro, I know that was you answering your own fucking phone, pretending to be your assistant. And also... <laughs> I also have now figured out this ain't at Universal Studios, okay? You ain't attached to a studio. But I didn't say any of that. And so he goes, he's like, yeah, I'll be your reader. The script is predictably garbage. And he didn't send it to me ahead of time, which I also didn't know was a bad thing for an audition. I just didn't know. I didn't know that either. Yeah, you should always get it ahead of time. Because how are you going to prep? What am I going to just sit there and just like pull out my tits? I mean, I guess some people would, but that wasn't. And I also had no, the, 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 the audition breakdown also had a description of what the screenplay was, which I also thought was normal. So he hands me the garbage script. He's doing the male part. So we read back and forth, back and forth. And I'm crushing it. Even under this amount of pressure. No, I was not. I'm sure I was terrible. But we get to the last like bit and in parentheses, which is also not how you would like, you, you're not going to put in an actual screenplay, you're not putting like notes about stage. Like you put stage direction, but you wouldn't put like, and now the girl walks over to the left and then to the right. It's too specific. Like the director does that, right? So those notes are all in there. And then it's like, and then she promptly takes off her clothes and they passionately make out. And he says to me, he was like, now, just because we haven't cast the male lead yet, he goes, would you, you know, so we would be, we would want to do a chemistry test. And I was, and I knew enough to say, Oh, sure. Yeah. Chemistry tests happen once you narrow it down, though. Right. And he goes, 
oh yeah 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 yeah. because chemistry tests are real right those usually happen for sitcoms and major films and what it is is it's making sure that you the female have actual on-screen chemistry which is a real thing with the male lead right well there's no camera in this audition room and also you're not going to chemistry test me before you've narrowed your pool down and what what exactly does a chemistry test usually involve it's literally it, it shouldn't involve physical contact if we're being clear I'll I'll use a very common example, Jim and Pam for The Office. It was down to, I think, two other couples. And they were mixing and matching the people. And so they would put um, Jetta Fisher with, I don't know, some guy Chris Smith or whatever. And they'd see how they did. Mm. So they'd literally just do lines back and forth. That's it. And then he it would be plug and play and be like, okay, what's the most believable relationship here? And so that's what a chemistry test is. I guess on porn, it's just did your dick fit. I don't know how that works. But... So he was like, um, oh, yeah, 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 he like backpedaled a little bit. And I hear, God love him. I hear my roommate in the lobby like, Kate, Kate, <laughs> and like, God love him. And I was like, well, okay, I'll wait to hear from you. And he goes, now the, ne- the he goes, the uh, callbacks are going to be at the location. And then he's like, he gives me the street. And I, and again, I was super new to LA, but I knew the street was not where Universal was. And I was like, Oh, so like at a house in Burbank? And he was like, well, yeah, and it's going to. And then I was like, okay, great. Yes, please call me. Have your assistant call me, in fact. And so and then what I wanted to do was run to the girl and who was in the lobby and be like, don't do it. Get out of here. But then I was like, I don't know. You know, maybe she wants to be in porn. Like maybe she knew. But I talked to my friend Britton's mom, who has been a working actor forever, and I and I showed her the audition breakdown, and she was like, she goes, "You call SAG right now, and you let SAG know that he's utilizing their union to push forward this audition." Anyway, this is the longest intro of all time. I'm so sorry, everybody's left the the podcast. Everyone has just walked out into traffic. They're like, "This is so boring." No, again, you have a very good relationship with the editor. So you- <laughs> True, I'm gonna cut all this out. So yeah, so the guy, he called me back for a secondary audition and a callback and I was like, hell no. And my roommate was like, he didn't rub it in my face. God love him. But he was like, you didn't, you didn't see the building and think maybe this was weird. And I was like, I don't know what Vivid is. And he was like, do you know what it is now? And I was like, I do know what it is now. I do. (laughs) I put it together in the elevator. (laughs) With the dick poster. So anyway, yeah. So that was, I mean, that was all just very, and you're right. I mean, it just, that is sort of how entertainment goes in Los Angeles in the beginning. So I don't know that everybody has the porn story. I'm actually really proud of that story. That it was like, nothing happened to me other than being super pissed I wasted my time, but also being like, oh, this guy's a jackass. But anyway. I mean, like, do you think he like broke in there? Like, mm. Do you think he worked there? No, what, was what, the, I, what like, I, like, he's the only dude that's there. Yeah, that, yeah. Oh, wow. And it was an office. I mean, so it was as if, you know, those offices like like we work where you can rent an individual actual just like office space. So I think he was we working his way into like free porn for himself because the office clear like why would he have, you know, 75 copies of a book by some female author that he isn't right unless that's his pen name. I don't know. I didn't think to ask. But yeah, I don't know. So my assumption is that maybe Vivid has a handful of floors in the building, but you can accept the dick poster because you're like, well, this is the Vivid building. So this is the home of porn, I guess. So I don't really uh, that piece. I don't totally understand. But my assumption is that it was a day office so that he could seem as if he were legit and trick a bunch of chicks and see who he could make out with in the office. I don't know. (laughs) 
that it did not work on me. And I was cute. I was young. I was in my early 20s. So on. So with these experiences like that and the workshops with the casting directors, like how did you keep from being discouraged? Oh, I, I didn't. I was constantly. And I was done. I was like, I can't. I don't want to do this anymore. It's too hard. And it's too like we're from we're from a town of 6000 people. We don't necessarily we're not like these sheltered little babies. But I mean, when you're raised in Los Angeles, and you're raised in that industry, you can have a different relationship to it. And you can understand it better. I, I just took you at your word, right? Like, why on earth would you trick people with an audition? You know, why would you and groundlings beat the shit out of me? They were Oh, it was such a it was such a mean program. And they they would always say, we're replicating the industry, we're doing what the industry would do. But it was a lot of out of I better be careful how I say this. My teachers, if you were famous in my class, which some people were, it was odd how much approval your scenes got. And if you were not famous, which I wasn't, it was amazing how I felt like the goal was to make me cry or to make students cry. So what, tell us about that. When did, when did you do this? Um, Groundlings? I don't remember. I did it. Actually, I'm sorry. Let me stop you there. Yeah. Go back. Why did you start taking improv classes? Because it was literally like p- the the people, the San Diego people that were living in my ass about you better do something. I was like, I guess improv. Because I didn't know. I literally didn't know what to do. So my thing was always, well, just go back to school. You're, you've been going to school your whole life. Just go back to school. Learn, learn it then. Why improv and not like an acting class? Because I heard that and I, I couldn't, I wish I could remember... I don't remember who said this to me, but I had heard that for commercial work, they made sure that they looked at your resume for training and found improv on there. So if you even wanted to be on someone's radar, you needed to have some sort of improv training. And I had like a little, but I didn't have an official school. And it was the right decision for sure at the time, but Groundlings was not the right decision. I just kept going because I was so discouraged and I wasn't getting work and I was tired of doing background work and I was tired of doing, you know, producing random shit that wasn't fun. So I was like, well, I'm going to go to the Mecca because, you know, you hear all these stories, all these people that went to SNL after, you know, the Groundlings or went on to massive careers and had a really positive experience there. And but I had also heard from actor friends that I respected, like, get ready, girl, saddle up. That's a whole thing. And my first handful of levels there were not bad. But it was when you got further along and they told you every class is an audition. Well, it's like, who's got the energy for a four and a half hour audition every week? And and where's your safe space? Not there. And how do you, imp- and that's a great question. Like, how do you improvise well if it's not safe? You don't. I didn't. And if you, they also do side coaching there, which I wasn't used to because at Second City, they'll let you finish a scene. Like I had a teacher throw a chair at me in Second City. So like they weren't exactly... They weren't giving they weren't giving out hugs, but it was a much different environment than someone who's side coaching that when you make a choice, which improv is literally just pulled out of your ass, you make some choice and they're like, no, do it again. And you're like, okay. I mean, again, I'm not some precious flower in a lot of regards. I can handle it. I have at that point I had thicker skin from just the industry telling me to eat eat a bag of dicks. But this was I was so used to a supportive improv environment that was lovely and I made all of these amazing friends. And in these classes at Groundlings, everybody viewed you as competition. There was one time I asked a question in class and the teacher was like, wow, that was a dumb question. And all of the students turned to me and they were like, yeah, why'd you ask that? And it was like, oh, I'm like in class with my competition. And they very much recognized that. And I was like, fuck, I have to switch everything in my brain. 
And so to keep going through the levels, they would midway through this, the term sit down with you and tell you all the, all the places where you were shitting the bed. And then they'd be like, you get three weeks to fix this and you can only retake this class twice. And look, it is a microcosm of how competitive the industry is. So I appreciate what it showed me as far as who you can trust and who you can't and to start get start to get real judicious about who you can and can't trust and recognize that yeah this is your competition this is your competition so don't lean on them and don't use them in a scene to get better and better and better do you and take care of you which is so the antithesis of improv yeah improv is hand it over build give it to them let them get better gifts 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 relationships teams community all that all of it and at groundlings it was like character work accents move 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 and you have to do this thing at the end right before you get into writer's lab called five through the door You come up with these five characters. You write a monologue for each of them. You do a three-minute scene as that character, and then you switch into all five. And you do it in front of the whole class and your your teacher. And I had a teacher that was, this was a guy that was just constantly like living in my anus. And I did four characters. And I said, and I was like, that's it. And I sat down. He didn't tell me I had only done four. I was clearly too nervous and forgot that I hadn't done the fifth. And I sat down and I was like, oh, my god and all the students were doing like arms crossed and were just looking at me and so at a break i went to him in tears and i was like oh my god i forgot to do the fifth character oh my god oh my god and he was like i know you did and i said i worked really hard on it i was like can i can i do the fifth can i do it over and he was like we'll see if we'll let you do it next class so I went to, so I, a week passes where I have to like, I'm studying her like religiously. I'm doing everything as this character and I get to the the class and I'm just sitting there waiting. He waits till the last fucking five minutes of class and he goes, well, I'm sure as we can all remember, Kate forgot to do a character last week. So we're going to let her, we're going to give her a chance. And like, this is, and then I, I was supposed to get up and, and act and who can act in that? But I did. And he passed me and he literally for the next week when he sat me down and was like, I passed you, but only because you came back with that character. Your first four were terrible, but we'll we'll let you have this one. And it was like, what do you mean let you have right. one? I mean, the lay, it was just, and after that, I took one more level and I was done. And, and Karen Morayama, who was my teacher there for my last level, was lovely and decidedly changed my improv for the better. She actually was a good teacher there. And so I will never, I will never talk shit about the school as a whole, but my experience there was extraordinarily negative and I stopped doing improv for three years after that because I was like, this is awful. This is awful. And it's like, it takes all the fun and joy out of pretending. You were just fucking pretending, guys. It's not that serious. But it was it was a lot. This is forever. I'm sorry. I'm, I don't want to waste our time. No, no, no. Okay. okay. You want me to... No, no, no. I'm ahead? sorry. So let's wrap up this section. I'm so sorry that okay. I'm talking No, forever. it's wonderful. That's what, that's what the point of this is. Thank you. All right. Um... Okay, what's something embarrassing you've never told our parents? Mm. Um, see, I put this question in here. Now yeah, don't I regret act surprised. It. Don't. I'm not surprised. <laughs> All right, we can move on. We no, don't no, have to do hold, that. No, I have to answer it. I'm not going to be that guest because I've had to interview those guests. Just kidding. You've all been fantastic. Something embarrassing I've never told our parents. Part, oh, part of why I was hospitalized for the migraine senior year was because I drank too much. They'll never know oh. that. Oh, was that sad? All right, let me tell a different one. No, um, I'm sorry you were in the hospital. No, I, whatever. I was fine. I'm a hero. What's something embarrassing? How many rules you followed. Yeah, that is embarrassing. That's right. How good of a kid I was. How few sheets I ruined with permanent marker. 
the answer to that question. I should have come up with an answer. I don't have one. All right. Well, we'll move on. You want to answer it? Oh, no. who's who's the who's the interviewer <laughs> and who's the interviewee? All right. Well, that that was our appetizer course, and it is Andre the Andres after a quick break. 